0: eight, verses 23 to 26, and you don't have to go through it. I'll just paraphrase the story for you. Jesus meets a man, if the friends of a blind man bring this man to Jesus, and they ask Jesus to touch him and heal him. And so Jesus, the Bible tells us that Jesus takes this man outside the city and spits in his eyes. And then he asks the man a question. He says, some translations say, uh, uh, can you see anything? But the, the translation that I'm using says, what do you see? And the man then goes on to describe what he says. He says, he sees men as trees walking. And then Jesus touched me again and the sight was fully restored. And I got caught on that question. What do you see? And that question has been something that's very critical to me these days. Because um, I, I've been told that uh, the older you get, the more things start to break. And I've always prided myself in my vision, in my eyesight, my ability to see. But as I've gotten older, I don't know anymore. I'm reminded of the words of a Nigerian author, a writer, Chinua Achebe. He wrote a book that's called Things Fall Apart it looks like things are starting to fall apart and the center is no longer holding. Amen? So I've come to appreciate the value of sight, the value of vision, something that I've always taken for granted. I've noticed that what I can do or not do, what I can see or not see, is really all dependent on what I can, on my vision. If my vision is clear, I will see clearly. Again, here's why it's critical, because if I can't see clearly, I can't act precisely. And my vision therefore directs what I can do. And what I do will ultimately determine what I get. So vision is a critical factor for success. If you don't have the vision, you may not be walking down the road that God has ordained for you to walk. And here's the thing with God. God has markers with our names on them. He has those markers in specific places. And in those specific places are the blessings, are the provisions of God. If God is wanting you to go east and his provisions are for you in the east, and you're going west, God hasn't abandoned you. You have lost your vision. Amen? It said, by far the most important organ of our senses are our eyes. We perceive up to 80% of all our impressions through our eyes. 80% of everything you perceive, you perceive through your eyes. So your eyes are critical. Your eyes are critical. And so if a person sees clearly, they are said to have 20-20 vision. And the desired state of most rational people is 2020 vision. Most of us desire, some of us don't have it. But the desired state we want to do, to get to is a state where we have 2020 vision. This morning I want to talk to us about the power of vision. I want to ask us the question this morning, what do you see? What do you see? Some of us, my objective this morning is to put us through a vision test to put us through a vision test. We might end up at the end of this understanding that you need a vision alignment. I, I had to get a vision alignment. And part of that vision alignment has provided me something that helped me see more clearly these days. Most of you don't know I use glasses, right? But The objective of a vision alignment is to help you so that you can see more clearly. Because if you can see more clearly, you can walk more firmly. You can walk more confidently. If you walk more confidently and you walk in the path that God has attained you to walk in, I'm telling you, success is only the outcome. You cannot miss your way going with God. You cannot miss your path walking with God. But if you go your own way, God is not obligated to pay for a bill he has not written. God is not obligated to cash a check that he has not written. God is not obligated to fulfill an order that he has not placed. But here's the thing with God. If God calls you, God equips you. If God equips you, God provides for you. God is not like Pharaoh that will ask you to make bricks for him and not give you straws. If God ordained it, God will provide for it. Amen? And so it is critical that each one of us come to a place where we understand the vision of God for our lives because the essence of vision, and I'll get to it. I'll get to it. So some of us maybe. Uh, let me back up a little bit. So this man, when Jesus asks him, what do you see? He says he sees men walking as trees. I don't know about you, the last time you saw a, a tree walking... But if I saw a tree walking, I'd be running in the other direction. But think about this man's predicament. Because the source of his help was standing right in front of him. And if he couldn't see it or discern it clearly, he may end up running from the thing that in fact was supposed to be his deliverance. He may have been running from the Jesus that was his help in his time of need. And I'm telling you, some of us, because of a lack of vision, I'm wondering if we're not running from the things that God has already ordained for our our, our, our success. The things that God has ordained for our blessing, because we lack vision, we're running from those things. God is going to give us a vision alignment today. What do you see? Amen? Hallelujah. So what is vision? Vision is more than sight. It is insight. It is more than the ability to see. It is the ability to see right. Vision deals with not just what you see, but how you see. The man saw in the story. Saw did not see right. He had, he had, he had sight, but he did not see right. He had sight, but he did not see right. Now, let me ask you, I, I, and I know this because vision is not a function of your ability to see. Because I'm telling you, there are many people that have two eyes but have no vision. But there are people that are blind that have better vision than people that have two perfectly working eyes. Let me give you the illustration uh, 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 in the scriptures. What did Jesus call the Pharisees? The blind leaders of the blind. So they had eyes, but they couldn't see. Now, what did Jesus call Bartimaeus? Blind Bartimaeus. Now, what did blind Bartimaeus call Jesus? Son of David. Now, how many of you understand what that phrase son of David means? Because he was speaking to a prophetic revelation about Jesus Christ. He understood that the scriptures had talked about this son of David that was going to come and assume the throne of David. And he was going to be the Messiah. So when he was addressing Jesus as the son of David, he was really calling him Messiah. And Jesus responded immediately to that. And so your ability to discern vision, your ability to see clearly is going to be critical to your ability to touch God. And for God to touch you. So vision in the essence of God. So vision in the real sense of it is the essence of God in man. Which causes man to see as God sees. And I need to put on my glasses, sorry. I no longer see men as trees walking. <laughs> so, vision is the essence of God in man which, causes man, which causes man to see as he sees and thus to act like he does. True vision is an act of God. It is only in his light that we can see light and see right. It is only in his light that we can see light and see right. Amen. So, a few things about vision. I'm going to tell you that God is a God of vision. I'm going to tell you that where there is no vision, that vision is essential to order. I'm going to tell you that vision drives your core values, and your core values will make you or break you. I'm going to tell you that vision drives your relationships and your associations. That vision compels action and constrains action. In other words, a vision that is static or passive is not a true vision. If you have a vision that does not drive you, all you have is a dream. And the world is full of dreamers already. So your vision must compel you and drive you to take certain actions, to do certain things. Otherwise, it's not truly a vision. And then finally, I'm going to talk to you about vision directs your resource allocation decisions. All of us in this room have 24 hours of a day. Nobody gets more than 24 hours. All of, none of us, and maybe some of us in this room, but I don't know any person that has unlimited resources to do whatever they want to do when they want to do it. If you do, I need to make a friend of you. See me after service. And so we, all of our resource allocation decisions, how we spend our time, how we use our talent, how we use our money, all have to be governed by something that directs us Otherwise, we will do what is right in our own eyes, and the result of that is chaos. Now, what I don't get today, I will get to on Wednesday, but I'm not going to rush it. I'm going to try and get to it as, as much of it as the Holy Spirit will allow me. So I said, God is a God of vision. That's how I started. So, how do we see that played out? When God, everything God does, he does by the impartation of vision. Look at the creation. The creation was done before the act of creation began. So the blueprint for creation was already finished in the mind of God before he ever spoke the first word of creation. Before, before he said, let there be, there already was. So if you look at the picture of creation, it was already done, designed, and sealed before God started to act. What does that tell us? That Godly vision, godly vision precedes any kind of meaningful action. Godly vision precedes any kind of meaningful action. Otherwise, you've heard me describe, you'd be like a gerbil. You know what a gerbil is, right? A gerbil is a little rat. And they have them in these cages. And what these rats do is that they're constantly spinning the, the wheels of this cage. So the cage is moving, but the gerbil is standing still. To the foolish Jebel, it might think it's doing a lot, but it's actually running in place. And without a vision, a lot of us will end up running in place. Um, God has designed and, and created us for much better. Amen look at Adam. When God created Adam, he immediately imparted vision upon him. This is what you're going to do. I'm going to give you dominion. This is what you're going to have dominion over this and that. He gave uh, uh, Adam a vision for leadership. How about Abraham? When he created Abraham, he called Abraham from amongst his old people and told him he was going to take him a land. He was going to give him a, a generation of great people. He was going to bless him and make him a blessed donation. So immediately, Abraham had a vision of why God was calling him. And that vision drove him and informed everything and he did and through subsequent generations as each generation was born that vision was transferred from father to son and from God to son and was reiterated and reaffirmed because the problem is this if you lose sight of your vision you end up where God did not ordain for you to go and we see the example of that how about the children of Israel When God God created the children of Israel and delivered them from Egypt and and gave them the promise of a a new land into which he was bringing them, a land flowing with milk and honey, he cast a vision for them of how, how that land would be and what they had to do to maintain that land. The vision was encoded in covenants which God caught with their forefathers and established and reiterated over time. And as long as these people maintained that vision, they did well. When they went from Egypt, nations that were mightier than them fell at their feet because they were driven by a passion. Look at Caleb. Caleb, how old was he? He said, Look, there are mountains to be. Age was not a problem for them. A lot of us say, well, I'm too old to dream. I'm too old to have a vision. Caleb was 80, but God was still calling him and using him in taking mountains. But the moment these people shirked their, uh, their responsibilities and, and fell away from their mission, as soon as they lost sight of their vision, the Bible tells us bad things began to happen to them. What were those bad things? Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there's no vision, chaos prevails. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, some translations say the people uh, cast off restraint. The Bible says, some others say that every man does what is right in their own eyes. No matter what translation you're using, the essence of of that verse of scripture is this. is that where there's no governing or galvanizing or cohesive vision around which people can rally, that there's always disorder. And disorder always brings lack of productivity and waste of time and resources look at the creation again the creation story the bible said in the beginning the earth was void and without form and darkness covered the face of the deep and that prevailed until god began to impose his uh, vision on creation god imposed and implemented his vision for creation when that was done at the end of the creation process what was uh, void and without form ultimately became not just good, but very good. So when God imposes order, when God establishes vision, the result is not just good, the result is always very good. So I'm asking you, are your results very good? Are your results very good? Because those are the kinds of results God is looking for. And those kinds of results are driven by vision. How about the children of Israel? I already told you the story about when God called them. We said that God took the children of Edith. The first thing he did was he cast a vision for them of the promised land. And as long as they kept sight of the vision, the Bible tells us they were able to gain territory and to win victories. But something happened. In Joshua 24:14. Joshua begins to transition from the scene. He's now beginning to address a, a, a next generation of leaders. The Bible says he calls the kings, the officers, the chiefs, and the leaders of the people. And he begins to remind them. He begins to cast the vision of leadership for them. He begins to tell them, look, I'm stepping away, but God hasn't stepped away from you. I'm, I, I may be leaving the stage, but the vision is still the same. And he addresses them, and he says something that's very unique to them. Some of you know this scripture all by heart. But in Joshua 24:14 he says to, the, to them, Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And everybody reaffirmed their commitment to the Lord. And then... Joshua goes on to remind them the consequences of walking away from the vision of God. And, 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 and over time, as that generation of leaders fell off the scene, something happened. Israel lost its way. They began to slack off. They began to compromise. They began to do the exact same things for which God was dispossessing the lands that he was calling, calling them to inherit. They started to intermarry and to worship the idols of the land. The same reason for which God was dispossessing that land. And here's what happens. At the end of the day, if you read the book of Judges, the last, the last um, sentence in the book of Judges is this. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And that beca- be- began, uh, began a succession of captivities, of exiles, of victories and defeats. You find Gideon hiding to thresh wheat. You find the children of God cowering from the enemies that they are routed previously because their loss of vision had had robbed them of confidence, of courage, of insight. It had robbed them of their confidence. So the enemies that they so easily defeated they were now running and cowering from a loss of vision, my brothers and my sisters, would deprive you of your God-given confidence. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. I don't know the last time one of you tried to attack a lion, but that's the sense that God wants to convince you, that when you are walking with the vision of God, when you're walking with the plan of God, that there is nothing that can stand against you. Jesus said, Upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'm telling you you when you walk with God victory is your is your destiny when you're walking with God victory is your outcome when you're walking with God defeat is not an option for you because with the God that I know and serve nothing is impossible yes though I may fall down seven times I will rise up because the Lord will pick me up you know I can fall down get up but I'm still moving forward and even in the falling there is a lesson So, what do you see? When you go to work, what do you see? When you interact at home with your family, what do you see? When you're sitting in church, what do you see? When you're communing with the Lord, what do you see? Because those questions are essential to what you will get. And so, the children of Israel, their destiny was this. Today... Israel is fighting with nations around it and is fighting to stake its uh, claim on the city of Jerusalem. Today, it is a debate as to whether Jerusalem actually belongs to the Jews. That's what happens when we walk away from vision, when we forget to pursue vision. And, and vision is something that requires tenacity because you go through ups you go through downs you go forward, sometimes you go backwards you take two steps forward maybe you take one step backwards but don't stop stepping don't stop stepping the Bible says Though it tarry, wait for it for in the end it will yet speak I, I'm telling you this morning if you have given up on the vision that God has given you it's resurrection time It is resurrection time. God is calling for new life into dead things. God is speaking new life into dead dreams. God is awaking the sleeping giants. And there are sleeping giants in this room. And giants ought not to be sleeping. Giants ought to be walking tall and walking high. We ought to be walking on the mountains of this uh, this earth. We need to be sitting in the high places. Because our God is seated in high places. Amen. Amen. So vision drives your core values, and your core values will make you or break you. In, the, in God's interaction with the children of Israel, when he, when he talked to Moses in the burning bush, when he talked to Abraham, the first thing he wanted to do, because 400 years of slavery, you do a, you do, do a number on your ego and your self-esteem. 400 years of slavery, of people telling you that you amount to nothing. When somebody says jump, your only question is how high. When you are beaten just because your taskmaster just feels like it. When you are at the dregs of society, nobody regards you at anything. 400 years of that experience will do a number on your ego. And so when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, the first thing he did to do was establish their identity. And so if you read the whole account of Exodus, the first thing Moses tries to do is to establish these people in the confidence in the God. The God of their fathers had not forsaken them. Yes, they went through a time because of their disobedience, but his love prevailed in the end, and his promise was getting ready to become manifest. The problem is this, that you cannot live as a free man in a free land with a slave's mentality. You cannot live as a free man in a free land with a slave's mentality. And that ultimately was the reason why a vast number of those that came out of Egypt did not make it into the the promised land. Because they could never rid themselves of that slave's mentality. At the first sign of trouble, what did they do? They ran back to their idols. Make us idols of gold so that we can bow down and worship them. They went to drinking and carousing because that's what they had been conditioned to. A slave will always default to a slave's mentality. And so God began to establish the identity in him. It is, not a, um, it is not a surprise that this teaching on vision is coming after the teaching on identity. Where's Pastor Tosi? Okay. Because here, you've heard this saying before. It says, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. So God begins to affirm these people and establish their identity because it was a critical. It was, it was important for them to re grasp the vision. Why God had called their fathers and their forefathers. It was important for them to re grasp it because that was going to be critical to their success in the promised land. If they did not grab that vision, they would go and become slaves in the land of promise, which ultimately is what happened when they lost sight of the vision. So God affirmed and reaffirmed the authority, his identity. See, your core values are really who you are. And your vision drives your core values. Your core values are what determine how you think, how you respond, how you believe, what you believe. And what you believe will drive what you do. And what you do will drive what you get. Your core, your core values will determine for you how you spend your money, how you spend your time, who you hang out with, what resources and what activities you devote your energies to. Those decisions are driven by your core values. And your vision will drive your core values. And so it was important for God to establish the identity of these people. Remember uh, uh, Peter, when Jesus called Simon, uh, Simon Peter, he said, he said to him, Simon, Simon, He said, Simon, do you know what Simon means? Reed, a a water reed that's tossed by every wave of the sea. So Peter was really that. Today is hot, tomorrow is cold. Today is warm, tomorrow is lukewarm. He was just like a reed. But when he caught an identity of who Jesus was, Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father which is in heaven. And I tell you, you are no longer Simon, you are Peter. The rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. So, Peter was instrumental. On the day of Pentecost, when the sermon needed to be preached, when the Holy Spirit broke out, who was there preaching that sermon? Peter. Who was the one? At the end of his life, Peter, the uh, stories have it that Peter was crucified upside down because he did not count himself worthy to die on the cross like Jesus died. So he said, crucify me upside down. That was a man that had been imparted with the vision of Christ. He ran with it, he gave his life for it because he was consumed by that vision. What consumes you? What consumes you? What is the thing that makes you wake up in the morning and makes you go when others quit? What is that thing that you said Look, if anything else dies, this will surely live. I don't care, I am willing to give... Look, they say if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. Those are your core values. Your core values will... Look, anyway, I I, I don't have too much time. But you guys know what I'm talking about. A strong sense of vision is always anchored on a strong sense of identity. Now, Amos 3.3 says something uh, significant. A- Amos 3 asks the question. It says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? And um, when, when we counsel couples in this church, when we do premarital counseling, one of their activities and exercises we always have them do is, first of all, to go get a vision statement. How many people have, I, have we canceled here? I saw, yes, not you. Um, but there's the Asegua. Any person, the first activity we put them through, I haven't canceled you, Kenichi, you're not of marriage. <laughs> <laughs> the first activity we put them through, if you ask them, the first question we ask them, what is your life's vision? And, and people will scratch their heads, and some of them will try to make up stuff because they have nothing, and they feel like they need to give me an answer or give us an answer. But the point we're trying to make is this. When ladies, and listen to me, single ladies, single men in this church. Ladies, when a man tells you he wants to marry you, he's asking you to come take a walk with him. Come take a walk with me. Come, let's... See, I didn't cancel her, so she doesn't know. <laughs> when a person says, come take a walk with me, what is, your, what is the logical question? Where are we going? Where are we going? Because first of all, you need to determine if that's where you want to go. And secondly, you need to determine if this is the person that you want to go with. And in the process of, of, of crafting a life vision for their marriage, here's what happens. They begin to speak to those core things. Really, what do you think about money? What do you think about relationship? What do you think about Jesus? What are the things that are important to you? Because you don't want to wake up after you've said I do and find that you're sleeping with the enemy. (laughs) And so we put them through this exercise. And we don't move forward until they have crafted a vision statement and they can explain it to us. And for those that honestly go through this exercise, they will come back and tell you they have learned things about this person that they didn't know before. Now, those things are not intended to stop you, but in, the, in, in uh, government, there's something we call full information. It's so that you have full information, so that you need, to, you need to decide if I want to take this journey with this person. First of all, you decide if I'm ready to take the journey. Secondly, do I want to take this journey with this person? And every family, remember that again, every family is a union of individuals. And so if you have individuals that come to the table with a, with, with a, a vision, you have a family that has a vision, if you have a family that has a vision, you have a community-oriented, uh, um, a vision-oriented community. Because a community is the sum of its individuals, it's the sum of its families. And if the family is the essential, the bedrock of anything that happens in society. Children are born and raised within families. Children are trained and educated within families. Decisions about governance and government are made within families. If you, you, most families find that most people vote Democrat. Why are you a Democrat? Because my father and my father before him and his father before him and all of that, were all Democrats. Now, what do Democrats mean? I don't know. Oh, for you Republicans. Why are you a Republican? Oh, because my father was a Republican. And 20,000 years ago, my, my father became a Republican, so I'm a Republican. What do Republicans mean? I don't know. Excuse me. Your core values ought to inform everything you do. It ought to inform who you vote for. It ought to inform what party you support. It ought to inform what school you go to. It ought to inform how you spend your time. It ought to inform who you give your money to. It ought to inform who you give your time to. It ought to inform what relationships you allow. Thank you very much. What relationships you allow, especially for a young couple. Young couples get into trouble. Because they allow the wrong person to speak into their lives. If my vision is to be a good father, why do I want to hang around with a deadbeat? If my vision is to be a, a good mother, why do I want to hang around somebody that hasn't raised good children? Because you can't give what you don't have. Yes. So your vision is going to drive and inform everything that you do. I'm going to move forward for the sake of time. I'm finding that failure to articulate and communicate vision upfront, especially in young couples, always leads to downstream consequences. If we don't have a vision, what happens is that we end up comparing ourselves to ourselves. Couples begin to compare themselves to other couples. Well, those people have been married as long as we have. They have a house, they have a car, they have a, they have a uh, why don't we have one? You, you're a failure. And trouble starts. Because if this man truly loves his wife, or this man, uh, wife, uh, woman truly loves her husband, what happens is that you try to do things that God has not called you to so that you can impress this person. You begin to take on debts that you don't need so that you can dress like that person. But you forget that each person has been uniquely gifted and graced by God. And given those giftings and those graces for a unique work that God has called them to do. And each couple, each family has been graced, uniquely graced with all of the individuals with their unique giftings and callings to do what God has placed them together in a family to do. And so God is not going to reward them or evaluate them on the basis of somebody else's mission. Because he hasn't given them the resources for somebody else's mission. Stewardship always requires that you give an account of that which you have, not that which somebody else has. And so when we begin to compare ourselves, this person is doing that, we get into trouble. And those comparisons at the root of them is a lack of a vision, a lack of a sense of who we are, a lack of our core values. And if you don't know who you are, people will define you. Hallelujah. If you cannot agree on where you're going, how can you agree on which road to take? I believe this is just as true for a spiritual family as it is for a natural family. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Corinthians that God has uniquely placed the members of the body, in the body. And he uses the body as an analogy to the church. He says, God put the arm where it is. God put the fingers where they are. God put the eyes where they are. He says, if all the body were an eye, where would be be sight? If all the body were a hand, how would you walk? So God, in his infinite wisdom, has assigned the members by his graces and his callings because each one of us has been graced by God. To do a unique thing. And so God says, what family will best utilize and best be blessed by this gift? And God says, well, Marie has the giftings and callings that are required for work fun. And so I am going to place Marie in World Outreach Church for All Nations. And so Marie may have wandered into this church and become a member, but it was God that ordained her steps into this house. Did I do something wrong? Amen. Amen. And so, I'll tell you a story. When, and, and this leads to the next point. That vision will constrain your relationships and your associations and your allowances. Pastor, you know I love you. <laughs> Pastor Sharon, I love you too. <laughs> when my wife and I left the church that we had attended, uh, Christ Chapel, Christ Fellowship for so long we were deliberate about our search for a church because God had spoken some things uniquely to us there were things that we knew God was calling us to do there was a vision that God had given us for indi- as individuals and as families and we recognized that that vision can only be honed and, and find its expression and fruition within the context of a family a spiritual family But what spiritual family? That was the question. To be or not to be? That is the question. And so we visited a number of churches and went from place to place. But it wasn't until we came to World Outreach Church for all nations that we could exhale. Because it wasn't because of Pastor Bank. It wasn't because of any of you as much as I love you there was a vision that was articulated for me. And when I, I heard that vision, I was like, uh, what is it? Is it Elizabeth? Elizabeth said when she saw Mary, that the baby in her womb leapt for joy. Or was it the other way around? Some baby was leaping. <laughs> but when, when we came to World Outreach Church, as powerful a preacher as Pastor Bank was, As powerful as the praise and worship was at that time, what brought us to World Outreach Church was the vision of the house. And I will tell you later what that vision did for me personally. And so as much as I love Pastor Bang, and I love you guys, I did not come to this church because of you. And because if I came to this church because of you, I would have left because of you as well. (laughs) Because Pastor Bank, you know this. Pastor Bank will tell you, he and I have had. And a lot of you in this house, I've had some. But it is that conflict that makes the love grow. I do not understand why people leave a church because somebody has offended them. If you leave a church because somebody offended you, you came to church for the wrong reason. Because if you're so preoccupied with the vision of God, you have no time to mess with offense. And so, (laughs) thank you. And so, in spite of conflicts and difficulties, in spite of issues and challenges with people, the same challenges that some others have left over, I have have stayed in this church. Not because somebody didn't offend me. Now, if there are offenses, the Bible says we must deal with the offenses and take care of the offenses. You don't sweep them under the rug. But an offense is not a reason to leave a church. Because if offenses brought you, offenses will take you out. But if vision brings you in, vision will keep you. Amen? So, we don't join... We, my wife and I have never been grasshopper, butterflies. The, the church that I came to World Outreach, Church from, I had been there all the time I was in the U.S. And I think I was there maybe 10 years. So I, I, I'm not the kind of person that hops from church to church because what I pursue is vision. The relationships I've reached benefit but the main ingredient is the vision. Amen? Amen. I'm running out of time. So, um, let me see how to work through this thing here. Let me, let me read you an article on uh, Steve Jobs. And on the power of vision this was written by a, a columnist uh, for the forbes magazine he was uh, doing a biography on steve forbes and he said this he says during my research on steve forbes i interviewed rob campbell the ceo of Vol- volti a wireless software provider for hospitals and point of care facilities in 1977 campbell was a young programmer who was excited about the emerging class of personal computers in 1977. He began searching for a position at one of the companies at the forefront of the revolution. Campbell first visited Tandy Computers. What is your vision for the personal computer, he asked. We think it could be the next big thing on everyone's wish list for the holiday season, Tandy executives exclaimed. Uninspired, Campbell visited Commodore. A company that introduced a, uh, person, a personal computer in 1977, Commodore stock was trading at less than one dollar a share. What is your vision for the personal computer? Campbell asked. We think it could be it could help our stock rise above two dollars a share. Commodore executives said excitedly. Uninspired, Campbell decided to take Steve Jobs up on an invitation to meet for lunch. What is your vision for the personal computer? Campbell asked Jobs. Campbell said "Campbell said what happened next still gives him goosebumps. Steve Jobs was a magical storyteller, Campbell told me. For the next hour, he talked about how personal computers were going to change the world. He painted a picture of how it would change everything about the way we worked, educated our children, and entertained ourselves. 1977. You couldn't help but buy in vision said Campbell was the one thing that separated Jobs from the others vision was the one thing that separated Steve Jobs from the others vision is the one thing in a world of mediocre people and everybody is trying to be the same your vision is what is going to separate you from the others amen amen In all you're getting, the Bible says get understanding. Amen? So, I'm going to kind of... uh... Okay, so vision compels compels and constrains actions. What you believe will determine how you think, and how you think will determine what you do, and what you do will determine what you get. Vision provides guidance and direction for all actions. There is no such thing as a passive vision. Any vision that does not compel you to act is merely a dream. There's a reason why in my house, in my house, every person, wheres my daughter, she said, every person does a chore. As the older two have started to work and make an income, they're contributing to the house in more tangible ways, in financial ways. Uh, They'll go out and they come back with groceries. So that, uh, I know daddy's money tastes better. <laughs> <laughs> but they're learning to contribute. And what is happening is this. Because you get them to work in the house, it gives them a sense of ownership over the house. This is not just mommy and daddy's house. This is our house. Because when their friends come over and the house is trashed, they don't say your father and your mother's house is trashed. They say your house is trashed. In the same vein, if the house is alright, they don't say your father and your mother's house is alright. They say your house, your crib is tight. (laughs) If Michael came home, and just threw everything. He didn't care where anything was. And didn't care that the... You would wonder if he was a DK Or if he's just a stranger that's passing through the house. But because of that sense of ownership and a shared vision, it compels him to take actions in the house. I, I, I told you I would get back to the issue of... I remember when I first came to World Art Rechurch. The vision that we kept reiterating it was reaching the lost at all costs by uh, praying for the unreached, establishing cell churches, um, s- establishing churches, praying for the end, uh, and sending forth leaders to the end of the earth. Guess what it compelled us to do? We prayed for the nations. The first time I heard about praying for the nations was in this church. Guess what it compelled me to do? It took me to Zimbabwe because I had to take the message to the lost in the nations. It put me through leadership training because God was calling me to leadership positions, not just in the house of God, but outside of the house of God. It took me to the nations and back. I've said that before. It constrained all of the things that I have done. And so because of the vision of a house, God has me where he has me today. What does the vision of this house compel you to do? Are you a passive? Can you, how can you see a need? Is it possible that the vision of this house will cost you when you recognize in the children's ministry that there's a need? You say, here I am, Lord, use me. When there's a need in the house of God, instead of pastor to come here and cajole us, that that vision would drive us to say, here I am, God, I am available. Why? Because this is our house. This is not pastor's house. This is not pastor Sharon's house. This is our house. And as this house goes, so go all of us. If your vision does not compel you to action, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Perhaps you need to get a vision. Amen? So, I'm going to kind of cut it off here because time is about done. But what is the bottom line of what I'm trying to say? I, I imagine. Some days, when my son Michael comes home and finds something that is not a chore of his, but because it's his house, he steps up and does it anyway. Because as pastor had taught us, uh, the goal is more important than the role. Can you imagine how pastor would feel if you were sitting in the pastor's chair, before a need is, uh, is indicated in this house, you're already taking care of it. That before a prayer request comes, you're already volunteering to pray. When a need, before a need arises, that you're stepping up already. How is gratifying is that for a father? I know how it makes me feel when my children take up those positions of responsibility and do them just because they belong to the house. So I'm encouraging us this, this, this morning. As I wind up, I'm encouraging us. God's divine provision. A lot of us, if I was preaching a message now today about how God is going to bless you and make you wealthy, we would all be running hanging off the rafters in excitement. But divine provision, provision is an amalgam of two words. Pro, for, and vision for vision. God's provisions always follow God's vision. So, if you get a vision of God, the, brave, the provision will follow it naturally. You don't have to sweat or run for it. The grace comes with the vision. Yes. Outside of that, you will struggle. The Bible tells us in the last days that God is going to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh, and the young men will dream dreams. The, uh, the young men will dream dreams. The old men will have vision on his maid servants and his men servants. He pour out it. We are re- entering a generation for visionaries. God is looking for visionaries to step up because that's the container that is going to carry the glory of God in this last days. God is looking for men and women that will step up and say, God, impregnate me with a vision. I'm too specially and wonderfully made to sit idly in church. I'm too fearfully and wonderfully made to just be ordinary. God, impregnate me with a vision because when that's the cry of your heart, you will experience God in a dimension. 2017 will really truly be your breakthrough, your crossover year. If that is you, I want to pray with you this, this, this afternoon. Actually, let's just all pray. For some of you, the first vision, like the blind man, the first vision you need to see is the vision of Christ. Because I, I told you earlier that all true vision emanates from God. All true vision flows from God. So if you, ha- if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you haven't even started the journey at all. So I want to pray for anyone this morning or this afternoon as it is now. Who does not have a personal uh, relationship with Jesus Christ? Who says, God, I want you to impregnate me with that vision. A vision of a revelation of who Christ is. That's where the journey begins for you. If that's you, please put your hands up so I can pray for you. Or I can pray with you. All right, step forward, sir. Step forward, sir. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. The Bible says, there is great joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. So, I don't know, you people are are nice and quiet and occupied. I'm telling you, there's a party in heaven now. There is a party in heaven now. Heaven is rejoicing. Heaven is rejoicing. If you understand unconditional love and amazing grace, you will know what is happening here. My brother, this is the best decision you have ever made. Because this is the open door to all other great decisions that you make. You have done that thing which is foundational and fundamental to everything else you will do Life, And I'm telling you, God is about to take you on a journey that you can't imagine. God is about to take you places that you could only imagine in your head. If you would yield to him, let him impregnate you with vision. Where you will go, only eyes, can, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. So I'm, I'm going to pray for you. Pastor Mary, can you come and pray with us please? Hallelujah